Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Today, we're going to be joined by four blackjack experts for a roundtable discussion. To start things, I'm going to let each of them take a minute or so to introduce themselves and briefly explain why they should be considered a blackjack expert. We're going to call them in alphabetical order by first name. So, Colin, Jones, why are you here? Um, I used to play a lot of professional blackjack, and then for a number of years, I ran some professional blackjack teams. And uh, for the last decade, I've been teaching other people how to be uh, advantage players, card counters. And to get in the spirit of this podcast, I even went out and played some blackjack last week. And wow. he's a sponsor That's... of our show, so we had to have him here. <laughs> Joe748. What do hey you know guys. about Blackjack? Um, I'm Joe748, and the only reason I could be considered an expert is because I listen to everything Colin and Tommy says. <laughs> and I just follow everything they do. But um, I've been playing for about five or six years, um, you know, seven-figure-plus from just card counting. Um, alone, I've bankrolled other players as well. So, um, yeah, happy to be here. Answer some questions for you guys. Very good. Rymo. Um, I've been a full-time advantage player for five years. Been doing it for a total of seven. Not exactly sure why I'm here, but I'm happy to be here, though. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, it'll be fun. Have you ever heard of the Blackjack Discord, Rymo? Uh, I have. I, yeah, I know the guy. Uh, who hosts it? I, I heard there's a lot of people there, so yeah, um, yeah, a lot of lot of good uh, knowledge and a lot of good uh, blackjack players there. So I'm just absorbing uh, all the knowledge of wealth there, you know. <clears throat> all right, Tommy Highland. Uh, yeah, I've been playing blackjack since the uh, late '70s, uh, and did a lot of different things in blackjack. Uh, I had my own team. I was on a team of where everybody was smarter than me. I played a lot by myself. Uh, you know, I'm, I might be considered an expert in some some aspects of blackjack. Others uh, still have a lot to learn. And finally, uh, Richard Munchkin. Although you're a host, um, you're also here as a blackjack expert. Tell us about that. No, I, I'm here as a host and the guy who records the podcast, so you had to oh, invite me. Oh, he's a producer. <laughs> oh, okay, so Richard knows nothing about blackjack. All right. I may First have a story or two as we go along, but... Uh. Okay, the first um, thing we want to talk about, brief answers, tipping. Do you tip and how often? Uh Colin. Do I tip and how often? Um, yeah, kind of the policy that I've used for a really long time is that uh, people on teams with me, we can tip out of our own money. And that helps uh, explain it, it helps us determine if it's worth it. So if I do, it's going to be um, a very informed business decision, which is really my advice. Uh I've seen a lot of people tip away their edge, and Joe can tell you how much tipping could add up if, if you did even a small amount. So it's got to be aligned with uh, kind of your business plan. All right. Uh, Joe. Yeah, there's, there's so like what Colin just said, there's kind of a classic example I've used at some of the boot camps where I show 
you know, if, if you were to tip, if I, if I looked back at my career and I tipped, you know, one out of every four dealers, you know, just even two red chips, which is basically an insult. If you're playing, you know, at higher stakes, two by 500 or two by thousand, if you just gave them two red chips, you know, they would kind of look at you a little, little insulted. So just doing that, um, you know, it would have cost over a hundred grand and, in uh your career total to give that up and so let's bump the stakes up let's say you just tipped him a green chip to make it look even a little bit better then that's like two hundred twenty five thousand over all that time so that the tipping adds up like crazy really fast so i've only tipped in situations where i've you know gained a considerable edge hourly like a higher hourly rate than if i weren't to tip but it's it has to be planned out all right ramo uh, yeah, I just never, uh, you know, felt like thing ever really bought me any time. It never really, there, there was only one time where I actually had a pit boss specifically tell me that one of the big things that gave me away, he actually, um, I had been playing at this place on and off for a few months and he, uh, all of a sudden I look behind me and there's like maybe three suits and a shift manager, shift manager pulls up and he sits beside me and he just kind of looks at me, he goes, Hey, Rymo, um, it took us a little while to figure out who you were, but we got it all worked out. And then he looked over at the dealer and he said, yeah, this is going to be his last hand, you know. And then we get to talking and, and he was actually a really nice guy. Uh, and one of the things he said was the biggest thing uh, that gave you away is that you don't ever tip, um, I, which I, I don't know if I completely bought that. But uh, in most uh, other circumstances, I feel like it's never bought me much in terms of like buying me more time or preventing me from getting backed off. But that was like the one and only time that I've been told that tipping didn't really work in my favor. So or not tipping. Yeah. Yeah. I basically, uh, uh, agree with everything the, uh, previous three, uh, guests said, but, uh, you know, I, I, I have to confess, I have tipped, uh, too much, uh, over my career out of, uh, basically out of weakness, uh, just cause I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bad, it's bad. And it, like Joe says, it really adds up and it's, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I didn't keep track of uh, how much I tipped in my career. I mean, I try not to tip. I congratulate myself when I go a long time without, uh, tipping, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, in, in general, you get a very, you know, you, you get some value from it. You can't say it's worth nothing, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it's bought me a little bit of time, but I would have, I'm sure I would have, had more money if I never tipped at all. Yeah, you know, I just want to say, um, to Colin's point, I think you will find that people suddenly tip a lot less on a team if it's going to come out of their pocket. And all of the justifications that they used to have, why you had to tip, suddenly those become far less important. Um, but I would say for those people, because you, you hear people give a lot of reasons why, oh, you have to and this and that. But I would encourage those people, even if they believe that, at least write it down. Keep track of how much you are actually tipping so that at the end of the year you can go, holy shit, I should not have given away all that money. Yeah, that's what I did. Sorry, but when we had a when I had a big group, uh, we used to have all kinds of rules like that. Like you had to tip out of your own pocket. You had to re report how much you tipped, and it definitely uh, did keep the uh, tipping down to a uh, reasonable level. You know, the I started. 
uh, tracking my tipping. I think it was. Oh, sorry, Richard. No, no, go. Keep go. going. Oh, no, no, no. I was saying, I, I started keeping track of my tipping, like, in my second or third year playing. And I think by the end of the year, when I realized how much I was tipping away, uh, it just didn't seem like it was worth it to me. So I think I cut out, like, 99% of my tipping, you know, in the you know, following years after that. And I would only do it, like, if I felt like it was going to buy me something, you know. Well, the other thing is, you'll hear people say, like, I tipped this dealer and they gave me a better cut, right? And if you then, if you went and simmed, what you're winning with the, the cut you started with and, and how much extra you're winning because of that extra cut they're giving you, you probably gave away more than what the, the cut was worth. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. I, I follow I Nancy, right. Nancy Let's Reagan's Let's move on to another advice. subject. Just do it? Just say no. Oh, just say no. Okay. Nike is just to it, I think. <laughs> All right. So now, next question. Um, do any of you use a player's card? Nobody's raising their hand. I'm going to assume that to be they, is no. Well, I, I, I can't really I, ever use a player. I, I mean, I used to use a player card when uh, – it was more uh, practical to play with aliases. I used to use an alias. But I could never use a player card in my uh, re real name. That would be like kind of ridiculous. My name is too, uh, too well known. So, Tommy, how do you deal with, um, you know, CTR issues then? Because, you, you know, you're not showing ID. You're always playing as a refusal. Uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I just don't... Uh, I don't put myself in a position to uh, to fill out a CTR. If I lose, uh, you know, a certain amount for that day, and I don't have chips from that place, I just don't. I just quit. And I mean, occasionally I've had I got stuck where I did it, and I just fill it out. And then I was usually, you know, I think Joe's had the same experience. I would just get bored, uh, you know, within an, within usually within minutes, uh, you know, sometimes within. Uh, an hour or something like that, you know. You know, sometimes uh, I didn't think I went over. They said I went over. Sometimes I might have gone over by accident. You know, the times I've been, you know, I just, you know, what can you do? I just uh, give them my identification if it's a CTR situation. Yeah, I usually start out. I don't do my full max bet within the first, you know couple of hours like if I don't have a chip inventory when I go and, and I have and I can have to keep it under 10,000 then I'll just um you know instead of betting like two by 800 or two by a thousand or something I'll, I'll wait I'll bet a lot less like max out at maybe two by 400 or two by 500 and hopefully if I can get you know a couple of thousand in chips extra then okay well great now I have 13,000 worth of firepower 15,000 now I can go to two by a thousand like I'll, I'll kind of play that sliding scale Kind of um, related to I, that, um, since none of you are using a player's card to play blackjack, are you playing in places? There are a lot of places now that are requiring ID at the door just to get in. This supposedly was a COVID thing, but now they're, you know, are you just avoiding those places altogether? I, I haven't really ran when you say a lot of places, I've seen a few uh, here and there. But if I want to play the place, I usually just give my ID at the door. I haven't really found a uh, 
a high percentage of places that have a connection between the, uh, the ID at the door and the, uh, you know, the tables. Uh, it seems like, uh, you know, it is leg- some places that did seem it was legitimately for COVID. They just wanted your contact tracing information. Other places seem to be an age type thing. They were just doing like some uh, bars do. They just card everybody, even if they're 80 years old. I mean, it didn't seem to be a big connection. I, I did one time in Pennsylvania. It did seem uh, there, there was a connection at the, at the tables. But, you know, basically, uh, I think it's just been a little bit overblown that there's some sort of uh, trespass list that is uh, immediately connected to and stuff, things like that. I've played rated a lot. In, oh, I'm sorry, Colin. Uh, I was going to say, I, I played rated a lot uh, in the beginning of my career. And I, I, I generally, I uh, regret it more now just because it has caused a lot of problems uh, in terms of getting database and everything. Um, but it did help a lot when I had a smaller bankroll. I did have some guidance in terms of like where to play. I had a lot of, I had a pretty big network at one point, you know, when I was, you know, uh, after I started meeting a lot more APs and people would kind of tell me like, Hey, play rated here, but don't play rated there. Um, it's hard to say whether that was worth it or not, because it really kind of helped me get through some tough times when, you know, the bankroll was a lot smaller. You know, I was getting free rooms and junkets and flights everywhere. Uh, and I think there was a couple of years, like in 2016, 17, where I think almost every single one of my hotel stays, you know, almost anyway, were, were like fully comped and had a lot of free flights. So that really kind of helped, you know, the bottom line, but, um, but it's caused a lot of, a lot more issues like in the future. So, um, you know, I kind of maybe wish I would have toned that back down in the beginning. And now I would never play rated ever, you know. I was just going to say, um, I, like I said, I went out and I played blackjack. I went to four different places over a couple days and, and, uh, played not a small amount of hours and all four places asked for my driver's license when I went in. And I think all of them had me pull my mask down and look at a camera. At least three of the four places made me do that. And none of them did it have any impact on me playing. If they countermeasured me, it was when I was raising my bet significantly, not, you know, because of anything at, at the, uh, you know, entrance to the casino. The only I've thing... also, um, oh, sorry. Go, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. I've also, I almost never go into the front entrance and I always try to find some other way, um, you know, hotel, hotel entrance or some weird side garage entrance, um, janitor closet. No. I just, uh, I found like, like if they do have a lot of ID stuff at the door, usually those weird side entrances, they don't have as sophisticated of a setup usually. So that helps sometimes. The, some of the places are actually scanning the ID. And the, the, the problem is not that it triggers you being on a list. It's after you get heat, they can go back and go, oh, we've now identified him. And especially if they've scanned your ID, they now have a good picture of you off your driver's license um yeah i I, usually when i if i start to get a lot of heat they can identify me without the uh scan at the door you know once once i'm uh under severe heat they usually uh uh i i beat me anyway so i I have found it to have basically zero uh impact on me i've probably been to 10 places that did that and i i found maybe one where it had an impact I was going to say, if, if you're, you know, new to advantage play and nobody knows who you are, then, you know, maybe you want to avoid those places. But, uh, for someone like any, any of us on this call, I'd, I'd put it in the category of don't back yourself off, you know, like, 
uh, let them make them back you off. I handed him my ID. I smiled at the camera and I went and I played blackjack and, you know, by the way, that's one of my favorite uh, quotes of uh, in history uh, about Collins quote about don't back yourself off when he first expressed it that way in his book. uh, That is a, you know, I had a lot of problems early in my career when I had a big group that these, all my players were so paranoid. Uh, they always thought they were about to get barred, so they would bar themselves. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the best way I've heard to express is that don't, don't be the one to back yourself up. Let them uh, do it. That was actually Josh Axelrad that I, I uh, ah. got that quote from. Okay. So, so Tommy, um, when you said when you start getting a whole lot of heat, do you, in regard to what we were just talking about, do you just wait for them to come and do it, or, um, or do you pick up and leave it uh, when you see that happening? No, I like to try and uh, uh, avoid that. You know, I'll, if, you know, if it's a big count or something, I'll finish the shoe and I'll leave. But I, I don't just sit there and. You know, after betting, uh, you know, big at the end of the shoe, I don't just, and I see that I'm getting a lot of heat. I don't just sit there and bet, you know, $25 to start the next shoe. I, I try and leave, you know, and wait for another day, uh, you know, when, when they have forgotten about me, uh, or something like that. So, I mean, you know, you've been doing it long enough that you know the difference between it's definitely heat and it's not like a host who's coming to <laughs> offer you something. Yeah, not not every time. I think it fooled sometimes. You know, I think uh, you know, I I think it's a heat situation. It turns out not to be. It might be for the guy at the table next to me. That just happened to me not too long ago. Uh, I saw security coming. I was sure they had spotted me. They came and backed the guy. Off. I think it was actually the guy at the same table. Uh, I had just sat down. I said, oh, I can't believe they got me this book. They actually uh, hadn't even seen the guy play yet. Yeah, but in general, I could usually uh, make a pretty good call as to what's going on. Right, yeah, you, you just never know what you're going to get, though, right? I'm, I'm sure all of us have been kind of in that position where you're like 90. If you had to place a bet on it, you're like 99% certain that you're getting backed off. And then uh, then they just don't do anything. I, it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't happen often, I feel like. But like every so often, you know, you will get a situation where you start spreading to the moon and you think for sure, like if I'm here for 15 minutes longer, it'll be a miracle. And then next thing you know, you're there for like seven hours and you know, uh, they just let you keep going. But you know, so I don't know. I've, I've always kind of wanted to push the limits a little bit because that's where it seems like you kind of get like a lot of your time is those places that just are kind of clueless or maybe don't know how to perform an evaluation and they'll sweat you. Like they'll sit there and they'll cross their arms and they're, and they're calling people, they're, you know, they're huddling and they're looking at you. So it's very apparent that they're not comfortable with whatever you're doing, but they don't know how to take that next step a lot of times, you know, um, and then they just let you keep going. I also like the move where they come up and take the cards out of the discard rack and then sort through them as if they're counting them at 100 miles an hour and then they put them back and, and it means nothing. Like, it's a total bluff. Yeah, yeah, they're just looking for that reaction. I had someone try to do that on an eight-deck shoe. Hardly at all. I'm sorry, what would you say, Tommy? I said that used to happen a lot in the old days. It was very common for the foreman or the pit boss to come take the cards out of the discard rack and uh, either count them or pretend to count them. But I have hardly ever seen that in the last five years. 
All right, let's move on to another question. Do any of you ever or always wear a hat when you play? Anybody have anything to say about that? I mix it up. I, I do both. Okay. And I mean, if there's a lot, if I think there's a lot of photos out on me with with a hat, I'll play without a hat for a while, and vice versa. Okay. Same. When I when I started like uh like all of my uh uh like surveillance photos, I think in the beginning of my career had no hats. And then for the longest time after that, I had a lot of hats. And then I started like just trying to change it up. I retired like more hats than, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I retired a lot of hats. Do you see like, so I have like a closet full of hats. I have more hats than like women have shoes or something, you know? So there's <laughs> a lot going on there. Yeah. I have the same, uh, I have the same thing. Reti- retired a lot of hats. Maybe, uh, we should switch hats, Ryan. Or <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Next question. Do any of you, not including hats, do any of you ever wear disguises when you go play? Not counting the time when Tommy famously wore a Santa Claus outfit. <laughs> I, I want Joe to tell the the story. <laughs> he he sent me a. <laughs> remember when you sent me like a, a selfie of you wearing your wig and your camo? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a couple. I mean, the one that comes to mind is uh, if I do do any kind of disguise, I, I usually do it around Halloween because um, then I can get away with just more like extravagant disguises. But there was one time I wore this um, blue like troll wig into the casino and security stopped me like hey excuse me sir like you're not you can't wear you know he, he framed it as this disguises you can't wear disguises into the casino and then i said this this is my real hair here it was like hair that stuck straight up about like a foot tall you know? and <laughs> the security i i kept telling him hey this is good my this is my real hair and the and the guy was like examining my head and was looking closer and then he was skeptical and okay well, come on in um, and then they trespassed me after that. So, but, um, to, to that hat question before I, so when I started my career, I, I learned, I heard a podcast and Richard was talking about how like you should, um, you shouldn't look like an, an ordinary card counter, like, you know, going in with your hat down low and just like not talking and, you know, looking, looking uh, paranoid. So I took that advice and I never wore a hat for like forever for such a long time. And then I remember one time Richard saw all my surveillance photos without a hat. And he's looking at all my photos. He's like, man, you got to wear a hat. Because I just had way too many photos without any kind of like hat or cover on. So then I incorporated a little bit more hat work. But All right. I just, um, you know what, Bob, before we move on, I just want to say yeah. – um, Everybody I know kind of tried the disguise thing, and it just turns into such a hassle. It just, you know, doesn't – I mean, it's one thing to cut your hair or grow a beard or those kind of things. But anything that involves, like, makeup and that kind of stuff, it just – everybody seems to abandon that pretty quickly. Um, Colin, you, Ben tried that, right? Didn't he – have some elaborate disguise where he was dressed up like as someone from India or something? 
yeah. So those, that was when we would we would take our players at least once a year and retest them in a casino. And it started out the first time we did it. It was at a casino that I was trespassed at, and so uh, we it was like, oh, let's come up with some really good disguises. And and I was a cowboy and. He dressed as a East Indian guy. He had a turban and he had grown his beard for months and it, it worked really well. He got a player's card. This was back when you didn't have to show ID for a player's card. He just wrote, they said, what's your name? And he wrote it on a piece of paper and there were no vowels. It was just all consonants <laughs> and they gave him this player's card. It was like surfa furfa or something like that. Um, and then, and, and so then we tried to up it the next time and I, I dressed as kind of like a, a thug. And and he wore an MIT T-shirt and glasses, and he legitimately got a player's card with the name Ed Thorpe on it. And uh, and and then when, there was a grand opening. This was in the documentary uh, Holy Rollers, but the grand opening of a casino. He dressed goth, which was an idea he had had for a long time, and he had white face paint and black nails and black lipstick. And I I went more subtle. I went as a mechanic. And we were betting, you know, three spots of table max and uh, neither of us got got backed off. But a bunch of guys on our team did because they were, you know, dressed how they normally were in a casino. But, you know, we didn't play. So I'm sure they could have. I don't know. They could have just asked for ID and we would have been in trouble. But I think there was so much going on on opening night. We got we got away with it. But that wasn't our, our daily thing. This was like, OK, let's let's try to. We wanted to be so ridiculous that the guys on our team couldn't recognize us. Um, now, if I go out, I just try to not look like the guy plastered on the internet, you know, uh, try to try to look a little bit different. Though I did one of these sessions that I played last week, a dealer in his lap, right when his replacement was coming in, he said kind of under his breath, I recognize you and I have a membership. And I don't know how with a mask, with a mask on and I was wearing a hat. Um, I don't know how he recognized me, but that was pretty shocking. But the, the pit didn't recognize me, and that's all that matters. Yeah, I used to, back in, uh, I keep referencing the old days, but, uh, you know, when there was less casinos, uh, and there was only a few good casinos to play in the, in the whole country or whatever, uh, it was more valuable to have a disguise. Uh, now it doesn't really seem like it's worth the effort. You know, I, I did some, uh, pretty good disguises. It's been forever since I've done anything other than what you referenced earlier, uh, grow a beard, uh, you know, have a different haircut, something like that. We, um, I just, I just got like, go ahead. I, I got fake, like, prescri- I got like fake prescription glasses. I ordered like a bunch of stuff like on Amazon and like, I would like maybe trim my beard into a goatee or go no beard with a beard. I'd wear beanies. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't go like real elaborate. I didn't go full on. Uh, Joe style where he's going in with troll wigs or anything or but um, yeah just normal stuff Joe, Joe? you're muted mm. sorry rookie move um, just a pro uh-huh. tip as far as the hat thing I think uh, uh, on a recent podcast Richard you were saying like yeah if you wear a hat and you get database you kind of got to throw it out it's just because you, sometimes those hats are so identifiable if they see your face and that particular logo or hat so like what you can do is uh if you go to the you know buying tons of hats for every session is super expensive like it like that adds up just like tipping but if you go to the goodwill outlet not like a regular goodwill store but the outlet store you can buy clothes by the pounds 
and it's only like, you know, a few dollars for whatever, however many pounds of clothes. So you can just go to the hat bin and just get bins and bins of hats if you really wanted to recycle the look. <laughs> Regarding the disguises, um, uh, you know, I, at one point I was working in the movie business and I recruited a special effects makeup artist to do disguises for some of the guys on my team. And, um, I mean, they were totally unrecognizable. Um, but, you know, it, it involved like makeup or skin tint and then it would start to run when they sweat and, um, you know, it, it, it just didn't seem worth the hassle of going through all of it. Um, <clears throat> and one of the, one of my teammates bought a fat suit. That was, I mean, again, made him totally unrecognizable, but it was really expensive. I think it was like a couple of thousand dollars or something. Um, but it looked really good. I mean, and, and completely changed his, his look. Wow. He'll have like, he'll have like a perfect jawline and like real, real skinny face, but he'll just have like a fat body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think I, Told this story before, uh, maybe on your show, but I, uh, a long time ago, I went, I actually went to Hollywood and I got a, uh, bald, this is when I was in my thirties, I got a bald wig, which looked really realistic. It was, I think it was revolutionary at the time. Nobody except this guy, uh, Ziggy could make the bald wigs. And I got, a, I got a lot of play out. And I also got some fake from a guy that won an Oscar, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, that but that was that's probably the last time I ever did an elaborate disguise. That had to be over thirty years ago. For the same reason, okay. just too much hassle. Yeah, such such a hassle. Uh, you know, I I always hated contact lenses, and I had you know it took me a while to put them in. They and the, the wig itched like crazy. I had to put this spirit glue on there. And, you know, then you would sweat. It was, uh, it was miserable. Uh, you know, and then, you know, and then if you, uh, yeah, it was constant. Uh, then I had some cheaper wigs that didn't look that good. You know, but it was, uh, it was a constant, uh, yeah, you know, when you're traveling with, with all this stuff, it was, uh, yeah, I quickly abandoned the whole, uh, the whole idea of uh, disguises, maybe a, a year or two. Uh, and that was it. Okay, a somewhat similar question. Do you ever make di- cover plays to disguise the fact that you're a counter? Anybody got anything to say about that? Rymo shaking his head. Yeah, I'm from the no. Uh, I'm basically of the on the uh, from the no cover camp. I just get out there and uh, whatever the math, uh, whatever bet the math would call for, that's what I bet. I, I mean, I don't. You know, try and bet ridiculous. If it's a $10 table, I may, uh, bet a $25 minimum. That would be my, uh, the extent of my cover, something like that. I don't, uh, yeah, I just make the bets you're supposed to make and just, uh, whatever, whatever happens, happens. Rymo? When, when I, when I first started playing, um, I always like use like really aggressive, uh, spreads, um, the only cover I would say I did, I didn't split tens like for the longest time. And then I started hanging out with a lot of friends who were all affiliated with the BJA group. And then all of a sudden I had like this newfound, uh, urge to start like just 
splitting tens and just like really kind of rubbing it in the casino's faces. So I think when I started like hanging out with like a big group of like BJA guys, uh, maybe like back in like 2016 or 2017, I think that's when I started like even dropping more cover. Um, but I think, yeah, maybe not splitting tens is like the only thing I did for the first couple of years I played. But aside from that, yeah, no cover. Do the rest of you split tens? Tommy? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, not not in every case. It's some casino where I'm uh, I'm hoping to be good at for a while. Uh, I may I may not do it. Uh, you know, and if it's very close, if it's a close play, uh, I never would do it. You know, if it's like uh, let's say the numbers true four or something, and it's true five, I, I usually pass it up. But if it if it's going to be a lot of EV, I would do it for sure in most most uh, casinos. Case by case basis, I think. For some reason, that looks totally different. From my, at least from my perspective, it doesn't look near as bad. You know, they don't yell out. You know, they may uh, say doubling on a, you know, whatever they yell out. You know, doubling on Ace Nine. They may, but it doesn't seem to cause us. The pit boss will run over and watch if somebody comes to split ten. You know, it just seems like a. uh, You know, so I'm I'm a. you know, I do do it, but I, not every time I would, would be my ass. Yeah, I, I pretty much split tens whenever I can. I'll split tens. I'll double my uh, ace ten when I split my tens. Like I'm already, I'm already standing out so much. I'm the only guy in the whole casino betting more than fifty dollars. Then I'll just do whatever. But um, there was one time I had a bunch of ten splits on two on two hands, and you know, just you know, doubling like crazy and doing all that stuff, and then. The players at the table were outraged, and the dealer looked over at them and they're like, "Guys, like this guy has been waiting months for this opportunity. Like, let him have it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say, um, you know, similar to the tipping thing, it's re- you really got to know the cost. You know, if, if you're playing blackjack as a business, you know, for the money, you got to know well what's the cost of this stuff. And generally, cover plays are are too expensive to pass up. Um, like everyone else said, cover bets. You, you got to know the, again, the cost of that. Sometimes if it's a really good game, you, you know, you don't have to start with as low of a minimum or, or you can decide how aggressive you want to push your bets. But again, you got to know what, what the EV cost is and say, do I want to, you know, cost myself 30%? Am, am I sure I'm going to last more than 30% longer because my, my goal isn't to just spend time in casinos, but to take their money or do I want to just be more aggressive, get backed off faster, but get the money faster too. Next question. Do any of you use a count other than high low? No, I don't. No. I All right. I use Zen. You use Zen? Good. So- yeah, I, I use Zen, uh, but I, I didn't choose it for any particular reason. The only uh, reason is the guy who got me interested in counting. Um, that was the count that he was using. I didn't know any better. I didn't have any resources. I didn't belong to any forums or have any software or anything like that. So I just gravitated to whatever he was kind of, you know, uh, that, showing me. And so that wasn't Zen was, King, uh, was it? No, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not Zen King. No, uh, <laughs> no, the, the, the guy who actually got me interested in counting, 
uh, turned out to be uh, a, a non-winning player anyway. He just uh, he kind of he, he knew how to like keep a running count and everything, but he he never took it to the next level. He was not a winning player, but um, but then I think I uh, there I've had players uh, on like BJ twenty one. Like I think uh, you know uh, I've heard uh, big players say you know that you know you get like a pretty good bang for your buck in terms of like playing double deck or. Pitch games and shoe games is good for Zen. And I already learned that in the Zen count and everything. And I, I learned all the indices. So I wasn't going to switch back to high-low. But I think if I was starting off, um, I probably would go for high-low. It just seems to be like the industry standard. A lot of teams are using it. It just, I don't know. Um, I Some of the most dangerous card counters I know are using high-low. So. <clears throat> all right. So our group is three-quarter dangerous. And with that, we're going to... Uh, <laughs> We're going to take a brief commercial break, and we'll be back to our Blackjack Roundtable. The South Point has more than 10,000 games, returning more than 99%. This is more than anyone else has. In May, the promotion is half-price gas and goods promotion. Earn and redeem $25 worth of points, which is earned by playing $8,334 coin in, and you receive a $50 gift card for Walmart or Chevron. Limit 10 cards per month in any combination. Assuming you value the gift cards the same as cash, this means South Point offer is South Point is offering a .6 slot club for your first $83,000 coin in. On Monday, May 31st, Memorial Day will be a $32,000 hot seat promotion where every three minutes between 8 a.m. and midnight, some player who's played at least $1 in the past minute will receive $100 in free play. Mondays are senior days for those of us at least 50 years old. Using your points, you get half-price dining, half-price bingo, and $4 movies. The half-price movies using your points are also good for seniors on Wednesdays and Fridays. BlackjackApprenticeship.com is an excellent site for those of you who wish to be successful at counting cards at Blackjack. The primary value of the membership, the video course, training suite, members forum, pro betting software, casino database, result tracking software, members only podcast, and our members chat room. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Powerhouse Poker. This is a 10 coins per line game where you get dealt extra hands, some with multipliers, when you're dealt a paying combination. For example, if you're dealt two pair, you may be given hands and four of them have multipliers from 4x to 8x. How many extra hands you get and how big the multipliers are varies from game to game. The extra hands start from the same position and same hold you made. Let's say you're dealt two pair queens and fives in a game where it's correct to hold two pair, which is most games. Should you decide to hold only the queens, as many players incorrectly do, the extra hands will all start from holding a pair of queens. The game always returns more than the five-coin version, the same pay schedule, and no strategic variations are necessary to play the game accurately. 
All right, we're back with our blackjack roundtable. The question is, have conditions changed in the COVID era? What advice do you have to benefit from the good changes and to avoid the bad ones? The masks are good. Masks? Um, That's Ryan. But, yeah. but uh, there are some places, like I, I know there's like a, there was a casino. I went in uh, after uh, the pandemic, like the restrictions were being lifted, and you know they are like uh, carefully checking ID a little bit more. And there was one place where I did get backed off, and they were able to like link my ID scan at the door to like my back off. And so every now every time I've gone back into that casino. Um, you know, I, I went in there to, to go search for other things. And so every time I've gone in there, there's been this holdup every time I walk in. And then they're like, wait, have you been here before? Like, have you ever been asked to like, have you ever had problems here before? And it's this big ordeal every time. And so they have to constantly call surveillance every time I walk through the door. So there's like some of those, you know, things that have been kind of a pain. Um, but aside from that, I mean, I, I do like the idea of being able to wear a mask all the time in the casino so much faster now, but I feel a lot more secure in there, or a little bit more concealed, you know? You have to yeah, follow I feel a little, uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Tommy, I'm sorry. Tommy, yes? Yes, I feel a little uh, guilty, but this, uh, I'd have to say that this COVID has uh, been good for me and Blackjack. I uh, The mask uh, has definitely helped me in a high percentage of the casinos. Places that used to recognize me uh, right away, it seemed like the ones that you know, uh, used to recognize me from the uh, eye. Don't seem to do it very much anymore. I got some uh, incredible amount of hours in places where I was never able to play before. Uh, you know, for uh, pretty high stakes. So uh, I, I can only uh, the only connection I can make is the mask uh, has really helped me there. Now some places still recognize me, where the actual people know me uh, pretty well. Uh, they still recognize it with the mask on, but and the, the uh, speed of the games is uh, is a lot better. Because, uh, you know, the fact that there wouldn't be many uh, people in there, it, it really helped uh, get getting a lot more hands per hour. Yeah, and if tables are limited to three players or a smaller than a full table, that would affect hands per hour. Right, that's what I meant. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. You can never you can never get stuck with six people at the table. And, it's still pretty much that way. Most places are, uh, still uh, have less uh, spots than before. Was your hand up, Joe? Oh, no. Actually, yeah, I haven't really played since the pandemic started. Um, I heard I've been, I heard a lot of mixed things, but after hearing Tommy's take, uh, now it makes me want to go out and play. Since I just heard it, you know, towards the beginning, it was really hard to get on tables. There was wait lists, and some casinos were kind of feeling the pressure like financially, they were being really, you know, paranoid about everything. But I think um, things are starting to get back to normal now. So I, I found a little of that. I did see that wait list at one or two places, but that seemed to be the exception rather than the rule. I, I was pretty much able to get on a table mostly every time. I only ran into that that wait list or no, no seats a couple of times. All right. A question from our listeners are, how come nobody wants to talk about how to hold card, use shuffle tracking, cuts, and other plays that are stronger than straight counting? 
who wants to talk about what, what nobody wants to talk about? Well, I, I, well, I, I it, it's pretty obvious why you wouldn't want to talk about some of those things. I mean, I remember our old team in the uh, – the one guy put in a rule that you couldn't even say the word shuffle tracking. It was too descriptive. It was too easy if some, uh, we used to call it non-random non shuffle, NRS for non-random shuffle. We, we, that was a team rule that you couldn't say, uh, shuffle tracking. I mean, if they, you know, if you, it's pretty easy to, you know, countermeasure, uh, shuffle trackers by just changing the shuffle. So you wouldn't, you know, to talk about it a lot and to, to have it become, uh, a subject that, uh, you know, that people are thinking about a lot, it, it w wouldn't be good. Whereas card counting, uh, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's kind of common. Uh, it's out there. Uh, it's common knowledge uh, how to do it. And so it's, uh, it's a lot less dangerous to, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to uh, to make it un un unplayable. To, whereas, a, you know, it's easy to stop, uh, stop people that are, uh, playing shuffles uh, that would be the reason i would say you, you you would you certainly wouldn't want to uh be out there doing a seminar on how to shuffle track because the shuffles would disappear well richard i mean yeah basically that that is what happened right because um you know when uh, arnold wrote his book i mean basically shuffles kind of got really bad uh compared to what they were like back in the 80s and and nowadays to find a really good shuffle is pretty rare. So nobody's going to, if they, if they have the skill to be able to play it, they're not going to talk about it because, you know, why would you give up that information for somebody else to go kill a game you're playing? And any of those techniques, whether it's whole cards or whatever, are all very easy to stop, you know. Um, right. I guess another way. Another way to put it would be that there's thousands and thousands of games, or not that there's thousands of games you can card count, but there's only, uh, you know, uh, there's a very limited amount of shuffles out there. So you certainly wouldn't want to be uh, giving it giving it a lot of publicity. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, all all of these advanced plays just it just consumes like a lot of resources in terms of like your time and effort and scouting that needs to be put into it, and so just to like give that away to somebody where they don't have to do any of the work to get that information, you know, uh, all it's going to end up doing is just the, the that casino is just going to get inundated with APs and the, the opportunity goes away. And then, you know, if you get a lot of these people who are just like spoon fed information, um, all that's going to end up happening <clears throat> is uh, they'll probably be pretty sloppy in terms of how they go about it or how they execute the play. And then it'll just bring the entire thing down. So I, you know, I, th I think there's uh we've seen like a lot of opportunities go away because too many people talk about it or they're, you know, and it's usually not one other person that's going to bring it down. Right. But like that one person tells two more people and two more people tell three more people and it just keeps going. And so everyone wants to stay tight lipped about everything, you know, and for good reason. You don't want the, the opportunities to go away. All right. Next question. Have any of you switched to other games in addition to blackjack? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing other things. I'm, I'm probably not going to talk about it, but I, yeah, oh. I, I am out uh, doing other 
than blackjack. So sorry. <laughs> it kind of ties into the la- the last question. I don't I don't think people are gonna talk much about it, but I've been playing a lot of Madden and uh, Battlefront <laughs> Two with my son. Other than that, I'm sticking to blackjack. There you go. What a bunch of liars we have here. Okay. If I because Bob, um, if I start talking about you know all my big six wheel plays, then everybody's going to start playing the big six. Um, maybe not. I'd like to hear about some of those. Actually, I think that would be interesting. I but actually um, I, I made a joke about that with a guy that I know. He plays all sorts of games, and I won't I won't say his name, but I, I you know hadn't talked to him in six months or whatever and i said hey how's your pie gal team going and he's like uh he's like actually i can't talk about it i couldn't <laughs> couldn't believe it it was some game like that okay so another player another one of our listeners asked is it ever okay to play blackjack with an advantage at a casino where you also stay and play poker could one possibly limit their bet spread and play for comps I think if you're um, if you have something good going uh, at a particular casino, I probably wouldn't play blackjack. I, I guess it just depends on how valuable it is that whatever it is that you're doing. You're just playing poker. If you can just like I don't know, camp out at the next you know place and play poker, then I don't know. Maybe it's not that valuable. Maybe you can go ahead and play blackjack there. But if you have something really good going there, I wouldn't even go near the blackjack pit if that were the case. But it just depends on what it is, I guess. In poker, it's probably, I don't know, it's a personal preference. Well, but if you're a, if you're like a really good poker player, like you want to play in the WSOP, then the last thing you want is to get 86 from Caesar's properties. I mean, there are a number of yeah. people who have that problem that they can't play the WSOP because they've been 86 from Caesar's properties. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, really a bad idea unless, I mean, if you want to just play with like a break-even game for the comp, okay, but is that really worth your time? I mean, if the comp is, how many hours are you going to spend earning that comp and what's it going to cost you for that hotel room if you just paid for it? Right. I I don't play poker, but I know, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that play poker and they generally don't play and they also card count. They don't card count and play, they play poker. I guess some cities or towns like Las Vegas, there's only a couple uh, big poker game or big places for poker. The rest are all, uh, you know, small stakes or whatever. So they don't they avoid those uh, places for blackjack because they go to those poker rooms, you know, five, six times a week. All right. This next one is sort of for Tommy, but maybe the rest of you had a comment, too. Someone said. He heard in an interview somewhere that Tommy Hyland doesn't allow his team members to play handheld games. Is this true, and why is it, Tommy? Well, it's it's somewhat true. I don't really have a team anymore. I have a, a couple people uh, I uh, play with, but I would I would it's few enough that it's not really a team. But in, in the past, there were a few reasons. I, I there's there's a few reasons uh, I didn't play the uh, handheld games, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I, I pretty much still kind of feel this way. Uh, you know, we were talking about tipping earlier. These dealers are usually, if you're at a place uh, 
for a while and you're winning. These dealers are a, lot, uh, a fairly high percentage of them are furious that you're not tipping them. So if if, uh, if maybe, I don't know what percentage you would, and this is more, again, more for the old days, but I don't know what percentage uh, of dealers you would uh, say could deal seconds, you know, it's some real small percentage. But if you multiply that by the percentage, it would be furious that you're not tipping them. And, you know, I don't know what it would be, one or two percent that might be capable of cheating you, and that would be enough to cancel out the uh, a lot of the money you would make from the other 98 or 99 percent. Uh, if you did cheat, and I actually know of people that definitely got cheated. We had one uh, one guy on our team that uh, was playing in Tahoe, and he was going out with one of the dealers, and her she knew she knew for sure. You know, I don't know this. You know, he reported that she knew for sure that they weren't going to let him win. That, that's what she said. He, he said, you know, I, he told her what, what he did. He told her he had the advantage and she said, you don't have the advantage here. They're, they're not going to let you win. And, uh, he said, well, what, what do you mean? And she said, they're cheating you. You know, and in these incidents, I'm sure other, uh, old timers have heard of these kind of incidents before somewhere. And, uh, you know, I don't even like playing, uh, Double deck in general, you, you, you uh, it doesn't seem like you can get a, even if it's out of a shoe, it, it doesn't seem like you can get, a, even though the, you know, the EV per, per, uh, shoe is higher or per hour is higher, it doesn't seem like you can get a lot of time in, in general. They're going to, even if the, if the pit people can't count, they can kind of watch and see if there's a lot of low coins going on and all that. I, I would, I always prefer to play the, uh, the four, six and eight deck anyway. Ryan, did you have a comment? There, um, there, there are some exceptions. Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, one of the places where I had the most hours is all, almost all strictly double deck because uh, uh, I've got like a couple hundred hours at just one place. It's all double deck. I mean, and it's actually uh, one of my highest like winning properties uh, in total. So, I think your chance uh, of getting those situations also. I used to, we also used to have a rule that if you had some gimmick, uh, at the double, if there was, uh, something else you get to do, uh, with the double deck, like, uh, some sort of tracking or cutting, uh, then we would play it, even if it was handheld. But we just, I just didn't like generally, uh, you know, like Rymo says, there works. So I've, you know, occasionally found that places that just let you play no matter how many decks they had, they just let you play away. Uh, but in general, I just, Never, I didn't really care for the single and double deck. Uh, I didn't like playing a, a lot of cover and putting on a big act to try and fool them. I, I just, it was never my style. I think your chance of getting cheated um, are way, way, way less today than they would have been, you know, 40 years ago. Um, right. There was still a lot of. And I, again, I'm not saying. I, yeah, go ahead. I agree with that. But I also, uh, and I would say that your chance of getting cheated at by the casino are slim and next to none, but that doesn't mean a, an individual dealer that just, uh, you know, even today it's, it's, it, again, I agree. It's very unlikely, but a, a, an individual dealer could, uh, do it on un, unbeknownst to the casino just because he's, uh, you know, he doesn't like you or he resents the fact that he's not being tipped, uh, you know, and again, it's a remote chance and it wouldn't be the main reason I wouldn't play it. Joe, it looked like you had your hand up. Before. Yeah. I think also too, it's like the first half of my career, I was so fixated on like, you know, double deck and, and pitch games. Cause like, oh, the edge is higher, the edge is higher or the hour, the hourly is higher. But sometimes that wasn't even correct. Like sometimes I, I didn't even realize, but like 
the six deck on the table next to me, you know, playing heads up three times as fast was actually worth more per hour than the double deck was. Like when you're they're playing those pitch games, you get even just one other person in there and they're shuffling three times as often. It like really lowers the rounds per hour and that just like can tank your hourly. So there, there was plenty of times where I probably chose the wrong table as far as the highest EV in the room thinking yeah. the pitch was better. So. I, I forgot that, the, the, especially face down. That that double deck uh, is incredibly slow. I forgot. Well, I and now so many of these places have all these side bets that the civilians love <laughs> to play, yeah. which really can slow the game down to a crawl. Right. Yeah, and God forbid if that uh, that double deck is like face down, you know, or if it's like a pitch style or whatever, you know. Um, and then, you know, they actually have to see, they have to turn the cards over to see the side bet, which, oh my God, that's like, it's like my biggest pet peeve. I can't stand it. <laughs> I would, I would just add, I, I wouldn't rule out double deck. I, I lean towards shoe games for the reasons that have been mentioned. Um, but you know, one of the places I played last week, I mean, I was probably making a hundred dollars an hour on dealer mistakes cause they could hardly deal pitch. Um, you know, <laughs> They forget to deal someone a card and then you get to choose if you want to stay in the round or not, or, you know, all these, all these things that were giving me an advantage. And so I guess I just encourage people to think holistically, be aware of, you know, the, the pitfalls. And I think a lot of new card counters think double deck is the holy grail, but, uh, we would all say it's, it's not, but I personally wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, there's there's a difference between things that, you know, uh have like, you know, really they look really strong EV wise on paper versus like in the real world. You know, there there's a lot of games that look amazing on paper in terms of rules, penetration and whatever, but um, you know, if they're gonna throw you out in twenty minutes, it's just not worth it. And then you have other places that have like very mediocre six deck games, but they'll let you play like, you know, day in, day out, you know, with with impunity. And so I think the biggest thing, like the biggest takeaway that I think a lot of like new counters will get from this is just like there is no black and white answer to like any of these questions. It seems like you kind of have to feel out every single situation and just see uh, you have to read every single situation individually and just see what kind of is the best, you know, EV move, I guess, in every every play. Yeah. And depending on your bankroll, if you have a smaller bankroll, the double deck might be the safest option. Like you might not even be, it might not even be safe enough to play that, that six deck that's, you know, 1.5 or 1.6 cut off. Like that, that might be too risky if you have, you know, a much smaller bankroll. So yeah, I think if you're on a smaller bankroll, it's all about bankroll survival more than anything. So I think you do have to kind of just say, you know what, forget the heat, just, you know, it's all about survival mode at this point, and then you really need to do what you can to kind of build up. But once you've built up a comfortable uh, bankroll cushion, then you can kind of play around a little bit more and play some of the more mediocre games, get some time in, and and hopefully, you know, you'll uh, you'll come out on the other end. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all for joining us today. It has been the fact that you disagreed with each other. I think is really good for our audience. The uh, there's just there's not one way to do it. All of you have been successful. All of you have a slightly different way to do it. And each of our listeners have their own way of doing it. So there is some right and wrong, but there's so much judgment. And you guys have to see. So thank you all for being here. Um, maybe if we, our listeners send us some more questions, we'll do this again in the near future. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Rymo. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Joe. Richard. 
Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day.